Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Marines weekly podcast series. Today, I'm your host, Greg, taking over for Isaac and Ram, who will soon go on to do bigger and better things. And it's not just me today. I'm also joined by some other voices, some new, some old. It's Jake Zucker. Rachel Liu. Carter Beckstein. All right, great. So, not going to lie, it's been a pretty slow news week, but we managed to get some pretty interesting stories for you. I'll start us off. So the University of Chicago Labor Council, the UCLC, organized a rally on Sunday, May 1st in Nichols Park in commemoration of International Workers' Day. Organizers and members from several unions with bargaining units at the university, including National Nurses United, Graduate Students United, and Faculty Forward, attended the event alongside community activists from Care Not Cops, UChicago Against Displacement, and Students for Justice in Palestine, among others. The demonstrations lasted three hours, with groups distributing flyers and signing up new members. At the main event of the rally, a march through Hyde Park, ralliers marched east on 53rd, then south to the Hyde Park Shopping Center, where a UCAB member named Jasmine addressed the group, condemning the university's history of racial discrimination and its decision to host the Obama Presidential Center on the south side. UCPD vehicles then followed ralliers as they marched up Woodlawn Avenue, separating them from traffic, and the march ended back at Nichols Park. In an interview with the Maroon, newly elected GSU co-presidents Naomi Rao and Andrew Saber commended the protesters and encouraged building solidarity with them. The Maroon also spoke to John Hieronymus, a registered nurse for UChicago Medicine, who attended the rally. He noted that the UCLC had organized May Day commemoration events in 2019 and 2020 and praised the events as a way for unions, community, and student groups to unite and show support for each other. The full story is up on the Maroons' website and was first reported by Nikhil Jaiswal. All right, great. So next we have some uh, humans v. zombie news. Yes. Great, yeah. I'll be talking about an article originally written by me, Rachel Liu, that's available in full on the Chicago Maroon website. So last month I had attended the week-long, surreal, magical, and actually literally insane experience that is UChicago's very own Humans vs. Zombies game as an observing non-participant. And I became just a little bit obsessed with HVZ, so here's a quick look at the game that so dearly captured my heart. Pandemonium on the clod. Shouts, screams, just a tiny sprinkle of braves. Is it a bird or perhaps a plane? No, it's Humans vs. Zombies, HVZ, the University of Chicago's quarterly live-action role-playing game which took place between April 5th and April 12th this spring and featured 174 total players. Open to all affiliated with the university, the game recruits intrepid human players who face off against their fearsome foes, the zombies. During the game, the main goal is for zombies to turn the human players into zombies by tagging them. The goal for the humans is to survive. Registration for HVZ this year began on Tuesday, April 5th at 8.15 p.m. in the Hutchinson Commons. Traditionally, registration marks the beginning of the game. As soon as a registered player steps out of Hutch, they run the risk of being tagged and turned. And it's an impressive event in and of itself. As Hutch is closed to accommodate the 200 or so prospective players, as well as the HVZ moderators, affectionately referred to as the mods, the space is converted into something resembling a surrealist black box theater. Walking through the doors marked HVZ registration, one gets the sense they've stumbled into a cosplay conference, or perhaps a laser tag team. The sheer range of players' styles is mind-boggling. Some have the full getup, makeup, gear, big Nerf guns. 
Other have shown up in their daily jeans and coats. Others yet, thinking tactically, have donned workout clothes, sneakers. The registration line snakes across the main dining room tables nearly long enough to reach the doors. The air crackles with excitement. For the last two years, in-person HVV was put on hold due to COVID. For most of the players, and even a few of the mods, HVV will be an entirely new experience this year. The rules of the game are deceptively simple. The game starts with only one zombie player, which is the lead zombie. Once the game officially begins, the players use either balled up socks, clean ones, or nerf guns to defend themselves from attacking zombies. They can stun them with one sock or one bullet hit for five minutes. And with the exception of certain special events, zombies are unarmed. However, the game is limited only within certain areas. Indoor buildings are all non-game. The great outdoors, on the other hand, is the Wild West. Ambushes fair game and anarchy prevails. After a whole week of busting brains and draining skulls, HVZ culminates in an event called Extraction, which is held from 5.50 to 6 on the final day of the game. Extraction is a fast-paced final push of the surviving humans towards the center of the main quad, which is called the Safe Zone, after which the game ends and Safe Zone humans are declared to be winners, earning glory and bragging rights forevermore. Last year, around 20 human players survived Extraction, but the circumstances of each game are different and infection rates are as fickle as the wind. By the time extraction rolls around, on Tuesday, April 12th, I am ready to witness it. It's 5.25 and I'm hurrying to the quad where I will hopefully witness the triumphant takedown of the last dwindling dregs of the human forces, 50 people, by their bloodthirsty zombie counterparts. The zombies have come bearing pool noodles as reinforcements. Apparently, pool noodles can be used by zombies to tag and freeze humans during extraction, immobilizing them temporarily. By 5.45, a crowd of zombies is gathered around the center of the quad. They number about 30 and all cloistered in blockade formation around the safe zone, the center circle of bushes in the center of the quad where the humans will try to reach. T minus five minutes. At 5.50, extraction begins and the humans start sprinting. They strike haggardly in fits and bursts, one from the side of the side hole, another two from Ryerson. The humans will have to make it to the safe zone to win, and from the looks of it, they face pretty improbable odds. It's chaos in the best possible way. The well-oiled machinery of the zombie collective moves like a colossal tide around the safe zone, initiating madcap dashes in various directions as the hive mind of the horde senses an approaching human. There's yelling, groans, exclamations of triumph and defeat, and a lot of frantic, go, go, go. All around me, I realize, is the sound of happiness. How wonderful to be swept up in the simple, earthly thirst for blood, brains, joy, and connection. To be reminded that we are here with each other as living animals, zombies, humans, and all. That turned out pretty profound, Rachel. Yeah. Do you think you'll end up doing humans versus zombies at some point? Mayhaps next year. Mayhaps. Mm-hmm. There is one other game happening on campus. That's true. Scav. Has anyone been doing Scav? I have not. I've seen plenty of things going on in my lounge, uh, but I have not participated yet. It is messy in those lounges that they yes, take over. Yes, it is. <laughs> I actually messy. went to the like introductory thing where they announced it all. I haven't done anything since then, but that was exciting. I don't know. It was very cultish. Uh, people got very into it. Yes, I've seen the maintenance crew looking with some distress at the lounges. <laughs> I've looked through some of the list of the items. They have this cool conceit where it's like they're pretending it's a year. I think it's like 2014 for some reason. But it's like, on December 22nd, do this. And so I assume it's like, you break up however many days it is into like chunks of 365. I'm not sure exactly. I assume that's what it is, which I think is a cool idea. Um, 
I hope people have been enjoying Scav for all those Scavies out there. Zombie scavenger hunts? Who said you Chicago students couldn't have fun? All right, Jake, with a baseball story. Yes, I'd be happy to talk about how the University of Chicago baseball team is looking to capture their first ever conference title. This article was originally written by E.C. Frank Adavi for the Hyde Park Herald and is available on their website at hpherald.com. The Maroons originally started their season 2-5, and five, but actually rebounded with a seven-game winning streak. They now have a 15-7 and seven record in Midwest Conference play, which puts them at second place in the conference and in serious contention for the title. The team is led by new head coach Kevin Tyrell, who joined the team in January after seven seasons at the College of DuPage. He credits the team's electric spark to their key pitchers. Sophomore Drew Bryant, recently named Midwest Conference Pitcher of the Week, has yet to give up a run on the mound and has recorded 37 strikeouts. But he's not the only pitcher thriving. The Maroons actually lead their conference in team-earned run average, as the team has only given up 4.12 runs per nine innings in conference play. The gap between the Maroons and second-place Monmouth College in that particular stat is larger than the gap between Monmouth and fifth-place St. Norbert. Uchicago pitchers are really lapping the field. And their hitters are crushing the ball, too. Peyton Jenksy and Brett Riegler, the top two hitters in the conference by batting average, both wear maroon. Jenksy, in particular, has been putting on a clinic, leading the conference in both batting average and stolen bases, with 31 stolen bases and only one caught stealing. Given these many successes, Terrell has high hopes for the team's odds against conference-leading Lawrence University, a longtime rival. He says all the team needs to do is focus on the task at hand. All right. Uh, thank you for that. And finally, we have our COVID update. Yes, fortunately, COVID infection rates are much lower than the zombie infection rates mentioned earlier. <laughs> the university declared 268 new cases last week, a nearly 23% decline from the week prior's 347. This coincided with the decline in the positivity rate from voluntary surveillance testing, which saw rates drop from 9.25% to 5.77%. That said, the university included a note that Chicago's community risk level, which is determined weekly by the CDC using metrics from the Chicago Department of Public Health, has increased from low to medium. It's also important to note that there are still 55 students isolating on campus and 166 off, so it's important to stay vigilant. The university reminded students that social gatherings are the cause of most COVID cases, and I have to say last week's weather was not ideal for social gatherings. It wouldn't surprise me if the rain were responsible for part of that decline, so it'll be interesting to see how the rates change at the end of this week, which is forecast to have beautiful weather. <laughs> the university reminds students that voluntary testing is readily available on campus at the Walker Museum, and, as always, if you experience COVID symptoms, make sure to request a symptomatic test. Carter, I just have to let you know that your voice has really given me a run for my money here. Thank you, I appreciate that. Baritone competition. <laughs> it's good to have you here. All right, thanks for joining us. We hope to see you again next week. And as always, I'm Greg. I'm Jake. Rachel. And I'm Carter. See you next week.